Well, our blessed people, uh, I wanted to share a little bit on this conversation the Lord has had with the church regarding the glorious coming of the Messiah. And we know too well, blessed people, that the Lord has now spoken. And it's as though he has notched up the conversation. He has wrapped up a very serious conversation on the glorious coming of the Messiah and uh, awakening and quickening the hearts of men that time has ticked and the Messiah is coming. And the coming of the Messiah is going to be a reality generation. And that uh, in itself being a tremendous blessing to this generation. Well, now, um, I want to lay this, that in the conversations we had, I want to particularly focus on two. Uh, one of them, you hear that the Lord takes me to a place where there is a meeting, and at that revival meeting that the Lord took me to where I was ministering, I see the other prophet also walking there. And then at that time, I also see the people, I'm able to see the people so I can tell where exactly the meeting is. And then, uh, which country it is. And then, uh, in a month, at that revival meeting, I tell the ushers, the ushers, to sit. If you go back to the web where we posted that prophecy on the glorious coming of the Messiah, you hear now, at one point in that meeting, I tell the ushers to sit down, to be seated, and take the notebooks and listen. So I tell the ushers also to listen, sit down and listen, instead of standing and, uh, and serving as in guiding people to where to sit. I told the ushers to also sit down and take the message, the instruction of the Lord. And immediately the ushers sit like this, the rapture does take place. And I see people leave. This time, in this particular occasion, the Lord makes me remain, I'm on the earth here, and I see them leave the earth. They leave the earth, they go up into the sky, and the rapture takes place. And this conversation on the rapture of the church, the gathering of the saints, the holy saints, the coming of the Messiah, the glorious return of the Messiah for his bride, this conversation has been non-stop, continuous, relentless ever since the Lord launched his two servants on this trail to prepare the way for the glorious coming of the King, the Messiah. So they leave, but I see some people remain, I see some bishops have remained, and also some pastors here and there, and some people have remained. So that to me became the main source of concern when the Lord... Uh, brought me and showed me this prophecy, how it will take place. And uh, in another conversation, a second conversation, regarding again the rapture of the church, the gathering of the saints, the taking of the glorious church, the rapture does take place, and then it's amazing because absolute peace darkness slums the earth, totally covers the earth, and we know too well, blessed people, that uh, the church, in Matthew 5, you've read from verse 13 down to 16, it says, you are the light of the world. And so I understood very well when I woke up from that tremendous dream that 
after the rapture takes place, then absolute darkness blinds, the earth blinds into darkness, total darkness, darkness covers the earth. And as I was preparing to leave, now to leave, to leave the land, I was preparing to leave the land on the big trail now, on the second phase of this mission, when I see the two prophets walking away now, then at that time, I was shocked that some people were following me. Some bishops were following me. And they say, my Lord, my Lord, it's too dark. And they were knocking their feet on the stones and so forth. They were walking and stumbling and tumbling. It was quite bad. It's too dark. And I was moving away. I was saying, no, I have to go now. I have to go. I have to leave now. But my Lord, it's too dark. It's too dark. We can't see. And when I looked at, uh, I saw I saw some bishops and I saw some people also that remained. And they were also crying to me. They were crying to me that it's too dark. But among the people that I saw that remained, apart from these three or so bishops I saw, maybe there were some behind me, but I saw only three who so were running towards me. But among the people I saw again all over the place that remained were blackmailers, people that obviously blackmailed me and I actually know them. There are people that blackmailed the ministry of these two prophets and I know them. So I saw they remained. They, they, they were running to me, so please help us. It's should look, you know. So there is that narrative. And the third narrative is when the Lord he showed me the Messiah coming and the glory of the Lord as he comes and grabs the whole horizon of the earth. And I've shared it all over. I've shared it in Lima, Peru. I've shared it in Europe and everywhere. When it makes me fall on the ground and roll on the dust and begin gnashing my teeth and groaning seriously to be able to symbolize, to emulate the Christians that remain, that will not be taken up in the rapture and the grave, the grave agony that will consume their hearts consume their countenance, consume their lives, when they remain and others have gone. And so today I want to talk about those who will miss the rapture. Because I think the most important lesson coming out of these three conversations I've shared today, and I know that at Central Park, Central Park is going to be the most historic conference that these two prophets have ever held, ever since the Lord sent them. Why? Because at that place, I am also going to be allowed to now share on this sensitive prophecy, the prophecy on the glorious coming of the Messiah, when the Lord brought me and I stood before the throne of God, before the throne of Yahweh in heaven. And at that place, he gave me the instruction and the prophecy that essentially summarizes encompasses the entire mission until the coming of the Messiah. And in that prophet, you see John the Baptist comes from the throne and he comes, speaks with me, and dissolves in me. And now you see they are two ministering. Tremendous, tremendous. At the throne, John the Baptist comes and speaks with me and then he walks towards me and then becomes part of this mission. And walks towards me and disappears inside me. And now you see they are ministering to prophets. It's tremendous, tremendous. And then, at that time, the Lord also shows me, come, let me show you what's about to happen. 
and he takes me to Israel. And I see the changes there of leadership. And you see right now, that changes of leadership is being fulfilled. But of course, Benjamin Netanyahu won, and Benjamin Netanyahu too. Until after I gave that prophecy of April 2004, then Benjamin Netanyahu came on to the right-wing government. Then he all of a sudden appeared into the sin, and then people began to understand that this prophecy in the timeline of God is already getting fulfilled. And now you see the changes of leadership happening in Jerusalem. But remember, the Lord takes me back to the throne room to stand in front of his throne. And then he opens my eyes, I'm able to see the lamp seated at the center of the throne. And then my garment is glorious, transfigured, and then the lamp, the glorious lamp came to me after the changes of leadership back and forth in Israel, in, in Jerusalem. And then the lamp of God, the glorious lamp, huge lamp, very glorious, super glorious. Everything becomes more glorious, I become more glorious. He comes to me and he comes to my feet. And when he arrives at my feet, then he looks up towards my eyes like this. Then I was brought back to the earth. So, at Central Park, Nairobi, I'm going for the first time to share on that conversation. I'm going to share on that sensitive prophecy because you know that every prophecy regarding the glorious coming of the Messiah, every Bible prophecy rotates and gravitates around Israel. Everybody should know that. And it looks like things are moving. There is a prophetic acceleration moving a little faster. And so Central Park is going to be very, very historic because this will be shared there. And I will also share on Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. These conversations, the Lord that says, I am coming, says the Lord. So it's going to be a very, very pivotal and historic conversation at Central Park. This one coming up. And the recent conversation, when the person of the Holy Spirit stands, stands in front of these two prophets and says, soon the church is going up and then he points up and I see heaven. So Central Park will be very historic. But tonight, I want to simply look at the message the Lord is relaying today, that some people will remain. And he's saying so before the rapture happens, meaning there is an intent. There is an object of that conversation that you may be able to awaken them that nobody may remain. That everybody be given a chance to understand some people will remain if they fool around. If they play around with this hard one grace, salvation of Christ, and don't walk right, they will remain. And the purpose is to warn them that they may not remain. So I want to look at today those who will remain, those who will miss the rapture. The Christians that will miss the rapture. They're in the church today. They're in the church right now. They're worshipping the Lord. In other words, in the church, there are two congregations at this hour. There are those that will be taken and those that will remain. I have seen those that will remain already. But what a great privilege to awaken them and to tell them, please be careful, be cautious now, lest you remain. Otherwise, you will remain. And that's what I want to focus on. The Christians who will miss the rapture of the church. So I'm going to come back to you in the next five minutes or so. As you gear up, those of you entering your offices, it's well and good. It will be replayed later in the night. But I'm saying, I'm going to come back to you and now focus 
on those that will remain attracted. And I think that is the most important message to be delivered at this hour, delivered. Jesus preached so much about hell. Nobody preached so much about hell more than Jesus did. The Lord Jesus himself preached so much about hell as a caution, as a warning that people may not not go to hell. People may not go to hell. And that's why today I want to talk about those that will remain, that people may not remain. Well, uh, blessed people, uh, like I said, today I would like to look at this very, very important aspect of the glorious coming of the Messiah. Those that will miss the rapture of the church. Those that will miss the glorious coming of the Messiah. In other words, those that will miss entry into the glorious kingdom of Jehovah. And so, at this hour, I have already said very clearly that among those that I saw, I'm talking about what God showed me, these two prophets about that day, the real, the vivid situation, what will be fulfilled if no changes are done. I don't know whether it's because I've already seen it, so there is need for a greater work. Because I've already seen it, maybe this could as well happen. Because I've already seen, I said, I saw some bishops who have missed, and some pastors, and of course a lot more people who have missed, you see that. But I also saw those that were taken. And I know that many times I've met the bishops from the National Council, and I've not shared with you because I know the individual people involved. But I've not shared because I still think each one should be given the opportunity to receive the warning and prepare and make amends and prepare for the glorious coming of the Messiah. But those that have seen, that have missed, whether the bishops here or abroad, uh, are people that have deliberately blackmailed God. It was amazing to me to see exactly how it follows them through to that day. And that's why sometimes I worry. I worry very much on this mission and who these two prophets are. You see how the Lord is operating dreadfully around them, very fearfully around them. And that should have raised a red flag that, please, the law goes on, you don't touch. It has never happened in the history of the church, God walking with man. Just walking with man in broad, open daylight like that. God performing these 87 stadiums, neutron stars colliding, the sun clapping. I mean, these are commanding heaven to come, to, to, to pour down rain. And in less than a minute, it does happen. The fire of Elijah pouring at their presence. All these things, writing, caught on camera, writing for them. I thought these things should have raised a red flag. But anyhow, I want to look at this very important aspect. Of those who will miss the rapture of the church. And like I said, in what I have seen, the blackmailers of God, anybody that have tried to touch these prophets, it does not end up well unless they really, really reform. That's why I thought it's an opportunity for everyone to really reform. I, though I see people and know their futures, I know that I've seen them on that day. But I thought it's a wonderful opportunity not to share with them individually on their personal scale, but to give everybody a chance, give them a chance to reform, to repent, to amend. 
to change their ways that God may take them. Because in any case, wants everybody to enter eternity. And the door to repentance is still open. Now, the rapture of the church. Before I look at those that will, uh, will miss the rapture of the church and what will befall them, what their characteristic is, even now as they live on the earth, the, the, the Lord raises very important aspects about the coming Messiah and the requisite standards of God. The book of Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 9, and I'm reading verse 8, it says, Fine linen, bright and clean, was given out to wear, and fine linen stands for the righteousness of the church, the righteous acts of the saints. So right away you see the Lord laying out his requisite standard for entry, the yardstick for entry into the glorious kingdom of God. And if you went to Matthew chapter 22, you get the same standard being elevated, exalted by the Lord, that the Lord invites, he talks about the entry of the church, that day of entry, Matthew 22, if you read, for example, verse 11, it says, but when the king who were invited into the wedding banquet in heaven, he noticed there a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked him, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Then was speechless, and after that, he's thrown into hell. So the standard of God, the requirements for entry into the kingdom of God are very obvious. He has raised them so obvious. And if you turn to the book of Matthew, before I go into those that will miss, and by reverse uh, inference, you can look at these conditions and reverse and know then whosoever does not achieve them will be those that don't miss. But I want those of capture in the next segment, in the next few minutes. But allow us just go through some of these wonderful yardsticks the Lord has placed in the Bible for the entry of the church, the entry of the believer into eternity. Eternity in heaven. Matthew 13, verse 33 says, Matthew chapter 13, 33 says, Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. And then down there he talks about a servant left in charge. He doesn't know the master comes when. But he says, be on guard, be alert, because you do not know the day or the hour. So those are the standards he has raised for entry into the glorious kingdom of heaven, for being taken up into the rapture of the church. But those that will be alert will be on guard. They will enter the eternal kingdom of Yahweh, the glorious kingdom of God. Be alert, be on guard. The Bible has given it all. It's right there. If you turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, again, 
He comes out openly, publicly, publicly to make it very clear to the public or those who will make it into his glorious kingdom. He does not hide a thing. The yardstick of entry before we talk about those who will miss. What we've just read, be on guard, be alert. To be on guard means to protect, to generously protect, to defend, to generously defend. What is he talking about there? He's talking about defending the salvation that you received. Guarding it. Guarding your salvation. In other words, he's saying, blocking all the loopholes. How do you guard a house? By blocking every loophole, the walls, the safety, the perimeter walls of that house. In other words, guard your salvation. Find out if there are porous places and close them up so there is no porosity in your salvation. So your salvation is not porous. So your walk with God does not present porosity where anything comes in, anything goes out. Even the city of Jerusalem, when it was being built, there had to be the wall around Jerusalem. That the surrounding Bedouins coming with their animals may not come in and define the holy place, the footstool of God, the holy place where the glory of God, where Yahweh descends and is enthroned. So it is with your, with your Christian salvation, blessed people. Be on guard. Be alert. To be alert is to be sensitive. It's to keep one ear out there, one eye out there. Always on watch out. Watching us, expectant, in other words. You are there and you are expecting your Savior to come at any time. Your Redeemer to come at any time. So he's talking about those who are expectant. Be alert. In other words, readiness, preparedness, always sensitive. Sometimes when I look at the church in Kenya and our countenance and the way they, they minister and the way they are sensitive, anytime they hear that the Lord has spoken, for them it does not matter whether it's office time or it is midnight, 2 o'clock a.m., whatever, whether you have to wake up in the morning and go to work, it does not mind. It does not matter. You find they are all up. They are like, this could be it. This could be the final instruction. This could be the most important instruction. Be sensitive. And he goes on to say, Again, now we are reading Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Look at what it says. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates, everything that pollutes the body, contaminates the body, and spirit, perfecting holiness in our reverence for God. There you go now. It talks about... First of all, being expectant. Expectant. You are aware of the promises of God that He will bring you into the eternal kingdom of God. 
and you'll get away from this abuse and blackmail and slander and malice and sin and death, disease, poverty, depravity, name it, sickness, abuse, persecution. He's saying those Christians who are on God, who are alert, and then now in the book of Second Corinthians 7 verse 1, he's talking about those who are aware of their promises, that he promised to seal you with the Holy Spirit, that he promised to bring you into the kingdom of God, that when you receive the Lord and you guard the salvation, you are aware of that promise, that you will see the eternal kingdom of heaven. And it says, dear friends now, purify yourself, be the Christians who are perpetually sensitive to the pollution of sin, to the contamination of sin. How sin contaminates, how sin pollutes, they are constantly aware. They are constantly aware of how sin pollutes, and they are sensitive to that. So they are guarding the hard-won salvation that Jesus won using his own body and blood, his own life, the Son of the living God himself, dying to achieve that salvation of the grace. Then he says that aware of those promises, then constantly purifying yourself from everything. He did not say from something, from everything that pollutes your salvation, threatens to contaminate your Christian life, your sanctity. I am simply looking at the yardsticks of entry. I'm simply looking at the requisites, the prerequisites, the standards of God for those that will enter before I look at those that will fail to enter. The changes of leadership is already taking place in Israel, in Jerusalem. The prophecy of 2nd of April, 2004, is already being fulfilled. And he has already written a note saying, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. And another note saying, I am coming, says the Lord. Then how wonderful for us now to look at the fine detail of God's required standards for entry into heaven. The glorious stairs have already been lowered. So heaven is a reality now. Hey. What a blessed generation to even partake of this conversation. And he says, I'm still repeating 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Since we have these promises, meaning those Christians who are aware, they are expectant, they are aware of the promises of God, they are, it is alive into their souls, alive to their hearts. Meaning they are expecting heaven. They know why they became born again. And when you are expectant of something, what it does is this. It erodes your attention of the interim, of the current, 
of the present because you are expecting something, a visitation, something greater. So it's rubbish at whatever is happening around you. That's what he's saying. Rubbish the circumstances around them. They're expecting a greater. So it matters not the circumstances around them. There is so much I could give, but I have so much to give to, to, to move on. So much I could give on this second Corinthians seven one. And it says, in that sense of expectation, the promises, they are constantly purifying themselves. Everything that can pollute, that can contaminate, that can soil their salvation. These are the standards of God. Christ and then engraved in the word about entry. So who is going to say God is unfair? When I begin to talk about those that will miss to enter. Because the requirements for entry are clear. They are right here. They are right here. He's saying they are constantly purifying themselves. Everything that pollutes their body and spirit, their salvation. And perfecting holiness. Did you hear that? Meaning, at the center of their priority, at the center of their life, they are doing everything and anything around their salvation to perfect holiness. We need that. Establish holiness, to install it and leave it there for kids, for good. To perfect holiness means to establish it in your life and live to it, live its lifestyle. And you know the biggest sin of this generation is sexual immorality. You know that very well. Sexual lust, sexual sin lies. False prophet, false prophecy. You know the moral decay that has consumed this generation. You are not guests to that. You are not a, a guest to this moral decay that has come to characterize a generation. I am simply looking at the standard of God for entry before I look at those that will fail to enter. I'm looking at those that will enter. In other words, the Lord is speaking very clearly to this generation. And he says, perfecting holiness out of the fear of God, reverence to God. If there is anything a generation, this generation has ever lost, is the fear of God, reverence to God. The reason the Lord lowers the stairs when he sends me to prophesy and command heaven to lower heaven. The reason the fire of Elijah pours down whenever he sends us to minister to you, a generation. The reason he rides in the sky. The reason he collides the neutral stars. The reason the Lord brings this cloud, settles on the crown of my head, and envelops me to be able to walk with God Yahweh, is to be able to instill the fear of God in this generation. So he says, 
receive holiness out of reverence, the fear of God. That very thing the generation has lost. People don't fear God anymore. That's why pastors can be women and they have another life and abortions where the pregnancy where Christians are doing the same. Why? For lack of the fear of God, lack of reverence. Reverence means to fear, to revere, to respect, to honor, and all of their love. To treasure, to love more. These are the standards of God for entry, blessed people. How about Luke 21, 36? Luke chapter 21, verse 36. What are the standards? Who are those that will enter? Luke 21, 36. Look at what it says here. It says, Be always on the watch and pray and pray and pray. Be always on watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man on that day. So again, you see, there is so much information there. As I simply plow through the standard for entry, as I walk through the requisite standards, required standards of God for entry into eternity with Him in heaven, then you see there is so much to talk about before I discuss those that will miss the rapture. Those that will be left, the Christians that will remain here, in other words. Before I do so, there is so much in looking at those that will enter. Be always on watch, look at that, and pray they are prayerful, that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, meaning he's saying that the rapture will happen and then the tribulation later, after the rapture, in other words, the tribulation and the great tribulation, he's laying it right there, right in your eyes. He's making it very clear that the rapture has happened first before the tribulation. So those human whimsical notions, no, no, they don't come in. They cannot feature. They cannot. And to back it up, I read the book of Genesis 19, verse 22. It says, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach there. When the Lord is about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's safeguarding his remnant, his holy remnant, his elect, his appointed people, those he has elected who have been righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, I cannot judge this place. Until I've removed you first. Isn't that you the church? Isn't that the church? Isn't that you the church? And you could as well go back 
to the book of Exodus 12 and look at the judgment in Egypt and how the judgment began when Israel was there. But Israel is secured away. Is in that the Noah's ark? The boat of Noah? Is in that the conversation? The Lord is using to say, but Israel will pass through the great, the tribulation, the great tribulation. Is that, is in that your revelation chapter 12? Is in that your revelation 12? And yet for the church, I read from Genesis chapter 19, 22, and he says, he says, 1922, he says, again, from 31, he says, he said to him, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. In other words, I have secured a place for you. But 22, he but please there quickly, because I cannot judge. I cannot do anything until Isaiah 26, but 20 has happened. Go, my people, enter your rooms, shut the doors behind you a little while, for the Lord is coming out with great wrath. His indignation, his judgment is coming. Speaking about you, the church, who are tuned in and listening to me now. That the rapture will happen first. You are secured. And then the Lord will come with wrath on the earth. So this really lays gravity on the next segment of this message. Where are we focusing on those who will miss the rapture of the church? Meaning it will be unbearable also. And I said, Israel is in Egypt. And everything is happening there. Isn't that the message that Israel has to pass through Revelation chapter 12? But will be secured out. The standard of rapture. The standard of those that will enter the kingdom of God. The standard of God for them. How they strike it and they emit it. How many blessed people? Seventy. From eleven till. It says, we remember, again, Psalm 77, 11 14. My object is 13, but 11 is. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. Today you have them here greater. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. They are right here. They are happening through the servants of the Lord. Satini says, your ways, O oh God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. It's amazing. He's saying these are the people that get to enter. The people that when they look at the wonders of God, then they can see 
the Ukuwake, the light of God. They don't treat you like God. Your way of God is in the sanctuary. Another version, King James. Your way of God is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as Jehovah Yahweh our God? In other words, he's saying you are aware of God is in your holiness. In other words, he's remissioning holiness back to the life of the church. If somebody holiness back, back to his life, that Christian, when he sees the mighty works of God, he remissions, he calls back holiness into his life. In other words, says, then he will strengthen his faith upon God when he sees creepers walking, when he sees the chair of Lord. He will strengthen his faith. He will strengthen his dependence on God. He will strengthen his trust on God. He will strengthen his grace, the grace of God in his life, the mercy of God in his life. He will not take it like a joke. The election of God upon their lives. The appointment they have received from on high to be the generation that prepares the way. These are the Christians the Lord is saying will see his eternal kingdom. And he says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 we're talk, simply talking about those that will enter eternity. Those that I saw entered already. The bishops, the pastors, the sheep of Christ. There you go now. Those who want to enter, these are the requisites, the requirements. That the Holy Spirit may help you to achieve this. This is the word of God. Before I look at those that will not make it. Those who will miss the rapture of the church, the ones I have already seen. And I say, already those that have been blackmailing these two prophets, in that vicinity I saw them. And they were crying, running to me. They say, please, please, it's too dark, my Lord. It's too dark here. They were knocking their feet and falling and stumbling and stumbling. Before I look at that, I thought it's good to give an opportunity to everybody. That they may repent. Whether you blackmail the Lord or not, it's good to give you the opportunity. I know I've seen the dream. I've seen that dead. I fear normally. But when I see, it normally has happened or will happen. But I thought for this matter, it's good to give people the chance, the opportunity to make amends. The window and the door to heaven is still open. Very open. Ready to receive repentance sinners. The prodigal son coming back home. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Again, Hebrews 9, 22 says the following. He says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with the blood. Without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. Meaning, these are Christians who are dependent on the blood of Jesus for their sins to be forgiven. 
and enabled by the Holy Spirit, baptized by fire. And now they are entering. And verse 28 is even more beautiful. It says this. It says, So Christ was sanctified once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear the sin of man, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Only to those who are expecting him. Those who are waiting for him. Looking forward to his coming. That means that you live your life as a lawyer in that office. As a doctor in that clinic. As a business person. In that kiosk. Whatever you are. Whatever you're doing. Engineer. Architect. Whatever your profession. Pilot. Captain. Flight attendant. Plumber. Driver, teacher, principal, whatever you are, social worker, as you live your life on a daily basis, you are living expecting him, waiting on him, waiting for him. Matthew 25, the wise church, the wise virgin, cutting a jar of oil. Meaning those are the Christians that have submitted themselves to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. To enable them. They have been instructed by the Holy Spirit that Jesus is holy. So be holy. They are not complacent about that. the church that gets to enter the church that gets to enter the glorious kingdom of Yahweh how about the church that misses entry into eternity there are many many standards he has laid out those who will keep their garments clean that finest clean and bright and clean keep the righteousness of God Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 verse 8 he talks about them, those that will enter. There is so much in Scripture to help you. In the next segment, as I come, I will now want to start talking about those that will miss entry into rapture. Well, uh, blessed people, we have an opportunity again to talk to you regarding this very, very important hour, very important event regarding the glorious coming of the Messiah. And we saw in our first segment that the Lord has set out in His Word, in His glorious kingdom and in His Word, He has set out a very, very powerful uh, standard. He has come out openly and said, Yes, indeed, the kingdom of God is near, and there is a standard for that kingdom. He says, the kingdom of heaven is near, and there is need for preparation for this generation to prepare to be able to enter the glorious eternal kingdom of God. 
And so these are some of the most important messages has brought to this generation to tell them that they need to work. They need to work hard and be facilitated by the Holy Spirit to be able to see the glorious kingdom of God. And so, even as we speak now, the Lord is encouraging the nations, is encouraging the church, is encouraging every single believer to be able to exude faithfulness, to exercise holiness, the salvation of righteousness, as we've seen, to be on vigilance, to be very vigilant, to be very prepared. The Lord Almighty has
that will adhere to the instruction that is given to the guidelines that were given by the Lord regarding that kingdom. So there is a real kingdom, and that's a territory. The real kingdom of God, that day of reality, is about to take place. When now people, well, the, the, the real kingdom of God will now crystallize, or realize. And I say it, that kingdom has real territory, the heavens, the entire expanse created by God, the entire heavens that are created by the Lord. And I say it, that that kingdom that is about to realize actually has its subject, its it defeats, it fulfills all the requirements of kingdom. It has real subjects, real people that belong to it. And one way or the other, either you are going to belong to it or not. And that is the awakening that we are discussing here today. That the clarion call is making here. That some will qualify to enter that kingdom, while others will not. The rapture is such a standard. So there is a real kingdom. The real kingdom of God that has drawn nigh. With all the requirements, it has a real territory, I said. It has real subjects. You, the subjects that the Lord has sent the two of us to talk to and prepare. That kingdom has its laws. That's why I read from the word on the requirements for entry there. The citizenry there. Every kingdom has its laws, guidelines, that govern the citizens. And those laws I've read you today, I've read for you today. The glorious kingdom of Yahweh. The glorious kingdom of God. And he says, that kingdom is the kingdom of glory. And so now I want to look at the people that will fail to enter. Because I've already seen that day. It's unfortunate that I've seen some of the people I know who have failed to enter. So that means every single time you undertake an activity, a behavior, a conduct, the Bible is true, will be fulfilled. The Bible is right. That at the end, each person will account for everything they ever did. Unfortunately, I've seen some people have remained, people I know, within the country, without the country. And my fear is normally that whatever I see always has happened. But I thought it's prudent to give people time to prepare, to keep cautioning people. To tell them to make amends, to restructure, to correct their ways, to improve the way they walk with Jesus, be more stringent, tighter. Who knows? The Lord could change his mind and bring them in. The Lord could listen to their repentance because the windows, the doors of heaven are still open. Now, those who will miss the rapture, in other words, fail to enter the glorious kingdom of God, I'm reading from Revelation chapter 2, I'm reading verses 20 to 22. It says, nevertheless, 
I have this against you. You stop Christian. Born again people I have seen remain. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. You talk about the false preachers that you've gathered around yourselves with your false doctrines. And then he says here, who calls herself a prophetess by her teachings she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. He has raised sexual immorality. And you know sexual immorality encompasses the whole spectrum from dressing sexual lust, all that industry that goes into the perversion of sexual sin. Into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed for idols, meaning the unacceptable, the defiled sacrifice, defiled worship. And he goes on to say, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. Again, he's talking about the unrepentant. There is so much the Lord is giving at that place that will really hint unto you those that will not enter. It's saying false doctrine, false prophets, false teaching, sexual immorality, unrepentant hearts. And he says, but she's unwilling to repent, verse 22. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensively. They would be, it will be, they will suffer intensely, intensively, unless they repent of their ways. Very powerful. The Lord again says, the window and the door to repentance is open. So who are these that I saw as failing to enter? I am so blessed right now. I'm so happy now that finally the reality Finally, the truth, finally, the gravity of the salvation you saw behold has gone. But those that attempted to mock the Lord, to mock these two prophets, you thought you were mocking men. I was so shocked to see them. The Lord showing them, you can imagine the deliberate statement by God showing them to me that look, they remained. Look, they did not enter. Look, I did not take them. But he says the window is open for repentance. There is accountability. Each man has to account for what they have done. And right now, in the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, the people that fail to enter, that I saw failing to enter, he says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, that is the church, that is you the Christian, who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. If they fall away, it is impossible for them to be brought 
back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public shame, public disgrace. That is the class I'm talking about that I saw. The people that abused the salvation of the grace of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation for which he paid such a dear price, such a horrendous price, a heavy price. He gave the ultimate price, his own life, his dear life. So this apostasy that you are seeing in the church, that I have been rebuking for years on end, this apostasy is not a joke. This thing of students in the university saying they are born again, and yet they are laughing at girls, they are meeting with women in rooms, they are talking, there is sexual sin going on, sexual lust, they are lying, and all this. If you look at the current crop, current generation of youth, sexual sin and drug addiction, immorality and alcoholism have destroyed an entire generation. But you came from home, born again. Your mama taught you to go to church. She taught you to always fear the Lord. This sexual sin you see at the workplace, live alone universities, high schools, workplaces, this rampant sin that this generation has embraced, has taken up, is saying very deadly, has consequence, has effect. On the day when people are now entering, those that are sustained and uphold, upheld holiness, then you will see the treasure in the lifestyle that they led. The hidden treasure, why they dressed the way they did. Why they always went for Bible study instead of going to the bath. Why they always stayed in church instead of going out. So he's warning those that have abused grace. Those are the ones I saw. The book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 5. The book of Acts chapter 5. I am talking about those I saw remain. Those that will remain. The Lord, His Word, has felt a very the benchmark, the standard of entry. The book of Acts, chapter 5, verse and on. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold the piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but bought the, he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has filled your heart? And that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you have kept some. So the main thing there is this. Many have preached, oh, once you are born again, once you receive Christ, behold, you are now sanctified and then you are justified automatically. You are justified 
and now you'll go to heaven. The New Testament church, they say, don't pay attention to the laws of God. As though the Lord was mistaken to give you the entire Bible. And Jesus himself comes and says, I have not come to abolish the law, but I've come that the law may be fulfilled. In other words, how then will you know what sin is? What sin is sin? Except that you read the commandments of God. How then will you appreciate the grace of our Lord Jesus? And the other you open the street, he opened for us with stairs now, Lord, headed to heaven. How will you appreciate that if you are not able to see how serious and difficult and impossible it was to fulfill the laws of the commandment of God? So the commandment of God are absolutely relevant in the life of the Christian. How then will you appreciate the grace of God, the bridge, the stairs that the Lord has lowered from heaven and say, these are the stairs of the grace. Now you can come in my good and faithful servant. But he's saying that Ananias and Sapphira, they are living and worshipping in the New Testament church where the grace of God is. Ananias and Sapphira, one thing about them, he said that Satan, despite worshipping in the temple, worshipping in the dispensation of the grace, they have accepted sin. Is anybody seeing what I'm saying? That the present day church has repeated the same sin of Ananias and Sapphira. They're worshipping in the New Testament church, but they have allowed Satan to instead kill their hearts. How? You fear the commandments of the Old Testament of God. But you forget to understand one thing, that the new law is a much higher law, because in the Old Testament, the blood of an animal was offered. But in the New Testament, the blood of the Son of the living God himself was offered. How much more revered is the New Testament of God? How much more fear should reign in our hearts to be the beholders of the salvation of the blood of the darling of heaven, the Son of the living God himself, the one and only begotten Son of God? So Ananias and Sapphira, they make one big mistake that you see being repeated in every church on this day. In this present day church. You are born again. You are worshipping in the dispensation of the grace in the church, in the house of the Lord, receive Christ. But you have mixed that worship with the devil. You took Jesus in your heart the only organ the Lord died for on the cross, the hearts of men. So you took Jesus into your heart and then you kept a little space. You cut down the compartment where Satan has filled also. So you are doing a dual worship, a dichotomy in your life. When one looks at your life, they almost see a spiritual schizophrenia.
Today you are this, the next moment you are that. On Sunday you are Christian, on Monday you are wearing slutty clothes, you are making ghost jokes in the office, you are lying. What a generation. And he's saying that these are the kind of people that will not enter the eternal, super glorious kingdom of heaven whose death I have lowered into the sky, says the Lord. It does not matter you're a pastor, you're a bishop, for as long as you have accommodated sin, deception and lies, violence, blackmail. And of course, touching these two prophets is no, 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 no. Because the glory of God is said, do not bring your rebellion to him, because I've placed my name, I've placed my word, my glory, my power and authority on him. He won't forgive you, I know him. Well written in the Bible, well engraved in the Word. But I'm talking about the Ananias Ophirus of this day. You're born again, and yet you have another compartment in your heart that you're preserved for your mini skirts, for your tight trousers. You're saying, if I'm blessed, you're holy, but let me make it tight. That kind of accommodation and tolerance of sin, he says, they will not see the kingdom of God. Ananias and Sapphira are in the modern church, in the New Testament church, but the wages of sin still come through as death. They don't enter. It's not even about the money. It's not about the money that they brought. I'm simply talking about the practice of their lives. The condition of their hearts. The deception that has come to define their living. The dichotomy in their salvation. Their admixture. Their blending of salvation with the world. Don't you see that church on this day? In this present day, that church is quite conspicuous. She is out there. She's on TV. She's everywhere. And we remember very well that the Lord has already brought salvation unto mankind. And I'll give you the example. The children of Israel, when they were worshipping, they were worshipping at Bethel. When Amos, the prophet of the Lord, was sent them, Jeroboam, you see the king then, he goes and institutes a worship of Bethel. They were practicing worship. Worshiping Jehovah. And in that worship, they would call upon the name of the Lord, but would not leave the requirements of the Lord. That generation is here again. That church is here. They would be so good at calling upon the name of the Lord, but not practice and obey the ordinances of God, 
the requirement of righteousness. They say that when you look at the present day church too, their apostasy betrays them openly. You are calling upon the name of the Lord, but how about righteousness? How about holiness? You are calling upon the name of the Lord all the time, but how about righteousness? How about the holiness of God? In that time of Amos, they were headed to Bethel. Everybody headed to worship. They moved it from Jerusalem. But as they went to worship, they forgot the most important, the most important part to prepare well for worship. To understand the talents, the standards of worship. Don't you see that generation here today? Their lifestyle, with a lot of immorality, moral decay, general faithfulness to the Lord. Their garments were dirty and filthy as they went to worship. Fireless linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. There is a standard of worship. There is a requirement of worship, blessed people, that has to be achieved. Finest linen, bright and clean. There it says, judgment is coming. There are those that will not enter owing to complacency. This mixed worship. So outwardly, when you look at the Christian today, outwardly they profess. You hear them mentioning Christ. Are you born again? Yes, I am. But inwardly, the spiritual decay and rot is unbelievable. It's shocking. But for them, now you find that even outwardly, now they don't care. Now they do anything and everything. They try to do everything. They are trying to do everything openly now. Now you can find pastors with girls, what? They don't care now. Openly now. Things are bad. The days are evil. Sometimes I wonder, don't they fear the Lord? If you don't mean it, you'll never fear men, that's all right. But don't they fear the Lord, their maker, their boss, their master? Don't, how come they don't fear the Lord? Those are the people that will not enter. They have no fear of God. They don't fear the Lord. The book of Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, he says, Revelation 21, verse 8, describing the people I saw that did not enter. Christians that did not enter. He says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all 
players that you see in the churches today, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. They are a place reserved. The liars, whether in church or outside church, there are more liars in the church today than outside. The sexually immoral, there is more sexual immorality in the church than outside. These are the people I saw, not entering, I read again, but the cowardly, they are believing. The Christians of today do not believe the word of God. When the word says, for without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. They simply do not believe it. And on that day, I saw them remain. They are believing Christians. They do not believe when the word says, be holy, for I am holy. They do not believe that. They think there will be a second avenue, a second road going to heaven. Those are the Christians I saw, Christ followers, I saw remaining on the earth. How dreadful blessed people. That is an all or nothing. The ones that are tempted to soften Soften the commandments of God to soften. To soften the requirements of God. To soften the grace of God. To fix them. To suit them. To, to accommodate the, their lives. Their lifestyle. Their worldly lives of sin and immorality. Their lives of moral decay. Unholiness. Unrighteousness. Apostasy. They soften, they attempt to soften the word of God, the requirements of God, in order that God may accommodate their unholiness, their unrighteousness, their ungodliness, unfaithfulness. Those are the ones I saw not entering. I saw that they would not make it. They will not see the glorious kingdom of Yahweh. The book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Ephesians 5, 6, it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And he lists them there from verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for our God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse jokes, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man, is an idolater. No one immoral, no one greedy, no one impure, such a man is an idolater. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and his God? Those are the people I saw remaining here. And 
telling you, don't worry. The grace has justified you. How? When he says, this must not be found in you that are the beholders of the grace of Jesus. How? Many will be very disappointed on that auspicious day. I have seen them remain following me. I said, don't follow me. I'm leaving. Follow me. Following me. Following me saying, no, look, my Lord, it's too dark. It's too dark here. They are knocking, tumbling and tumbling. Your present day preachers are teaching you to accommodate sexual immorality, impurity, greed, improper things before God. Cost jobs, improper conduct, they themselves practice cost jobs live on TV. And then you expect to enter the glorious eternal kingdom of Yahweh. He says, Romans chapter 6. The book of Romans chapter 6, blessed people. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. The people I saw remaining. And I know I will teach this at Central Park again, but for now, this is important because nobody knows the day or the hour. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that the grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Look at that now. He's saying, he's talking to the people that are born again and have received the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians, Christ followers in the church. But he's asking, shall we then, because of the grace and the justification that you are so elevated like this, shall we then, Continue sinning because now there is justification. There is grace. How about sanctification and righteousness? These are the people I saw remaining. Those that after receiving the grace, born again, pastors, preachers, and also Christians, but continued blasphemy. Blackmail, continue to blackmail Jesus by living another life, a life of sin. When you have been removed from there, ravishing the cross. Continuing to sin. Blatant sinners, professional sinners, addicted sinners, chronic sinners, whichever name you leave on them. I am talking about the people I saw that did not make it into the rapture of the church. Romans chapter 6, verse 14, 15, it says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under the grace. Look at that now. Under the grace, but he comes out clearly to define sin and call sin sin. And he says, no, you cannot still live under sin. 
cannot in any way continue reigning in your life. He's talking to the church. The church of the grace. The church of Christ, born again. Christ follower, attending Sunday service, reading the word. But he says, how can sin continue reigning in your life? Verse 16, he says, what then shall sin, what then, what then shall we sin because we are under the law, but, but again, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under the grace? Look back the answer he has given your preachers of prosperity is another space. Say, oh, don't worry. If try to make your life, make an effort into your salvation, they say, that is legalistic. That is living in the law. Look at the answer God gives them here. Romans chapter 6, 15 says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under the grace? By no means. He says, No. Whether you are under the grace, sin still remains sin. And God still remains holy. That does not change. That sin still remains sin. And the consequence of sin, when you look at the grace of Jesus, the grace, the redemptive mission that God launched through Christ Jesus, the redemption of our God, of the Lord, by sending Jesus the cross, it should cause you as a church to hate sin because it raises the deadly consequences of sin. But the present day church has attempted, they have attempted to pervert the grace as though God intends the grace to be a reward, to bring forth reward, justification, and sanctification then becomes a reward to sinning Christians. That is not true. It still comes out clearly and says, sin is sin, and God is holy. And the grace should make you hate sin, because the Son of the living God himself died. Who are these I saw? Who are these people I saw? who fail to enter. Romans chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your own bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Again, talking about those that will enter. Don't let sin reign in your lives. Talking about those that will not enter the they have allowed sin to reign in their lives. Despite being born again. Those are the Christians I saw who did not enter. They allowed sin to go back and be enthroned in their lives. What a tremendous time. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, 17 to 21. 
when we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ forgot sin? Hey. How? How can a generation come forth that wants to imply, in other words, that Christ accommodated sin? How? How really? First Corinthians chapter 8, because of time. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 9 12, it says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom don't become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone is weak, with a weak conscience, sees you who have this knowledge eating in the temple of idols, in other words, sin, would he be emboldened to eat? What has he sacrificed to idols? In other words, if anybody out there sees you sinning, would they be able to justify their own positions and hence be emboldened and ingrained in sin and continue sinning because of you? What a warning to this generation. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, verse 1 and 2. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that has not even occurred among the pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put off your fellowship? In other words, he's saying, today they are filling with the impunity. And he's saying, the kind of peace we receive from our Lord is the sensitivity, awakening of the consequences of sin. Someone is in sin, or your friends, you should be quick to hand and sorry and repent. But instead, what you have, they tell you, no, don't worry, the grace is sufficient. Your Jesus, nobody can take all these up from you, don't worry, continue sinning. That's what they say to you. And yet, they say, how? How? Should you still be happy? No, humble. And cry out to the Lord for redemption, for salvation, for mercy. I can go on and on, blessed people. There is so much to share with you. But these are now the characteristics of all people I saw. I now continue talking to you about this very important aspect of the entry of the church into heaven. Those that fail to make it. And I saw people, I don't get to talk to them, I've never told them. Because I still believe they have an opportunity. As you can tell, the Lord showed me everything. But you see, the way people just mere jokes, playing around with their salvation, trying to touch the two prophets, and many times I rebuke you several, one, two, three times. 
Not knowing that sometimes you cross the red line and this playing with the grace of Jesus. This justification of sin within the present day salvation. You are more than salvation. May the Lord bless you. The Messiah is coming. To the Arab. Thank you. Thank you indeed. Thank you. Lord bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.